At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? What would you do if you're exposed to sexual trauma and just don't simply know the way out? Or being too long part of something that you just know it's unhealthy and it's not right, but you don't have confidence or strength or brevity to step away or support system that can help you in your family? What would you do if you could be braver? And answer is lying into something that is forming and that's beautiful. And I absolutely cannot wait to share with all of you. How can we all be part of Braver Collective? Specifically, we know anyone that is being affected by sexual torture or trauma and simply don't have a way out. Today's guest is going to shed some light, specifically how Braver Collective came about. He comes from wealth of experience in financial industry. He's a former vice president for JP Morgan, been in financial system for decades and brought some really great perspective, how he transitioned and what he's doing today to impact positively so many lives. Without further ado, let me introduce you to co-founder, actual founder and executive director of Braver Collective, Scott Dilley. Scott, welcome. Thank you, Isabel. Pleasure to be here. Likewise. Uh, you obviously, oh my goodness, where do we unpack all of this? You have such a tremendous background professionally, obviously, and so many things that you accomplished personally. And the fact that now you are doing something different completely uh, from corporate America and going into nonprofit sector, it just shows that it's possible to always step into not on our passion, drive, and desire to meet and make tremendous difference. So Scott, before we dive in, how did you get to this point? Do you mind sharing a little bit about everybody watching and listening? Um, how did you get in financial industry and what that taught you? Sure, thank you. Yes, I was in financial services for almost 40 years. Uh, most of that in the wealth management business for large banks, first in Texas and then in Chicago. Um, my experience in, in the wealth management business in particular, I think, helped me to focus and to understand the nature of what was most important through the lens of the people we served. And over time, that became more and more my fascination, understanding problems that had a, a sense of lived experience where the person that you were designing for, whether it was designing a investment portfolio around the goals of their family or whether it's designing a solution to support survivors of sexual trauma there's a thread of uh that is around understanding and having i think the appropriate uh humility to know that we don't have the answers individually that the answers that that we seek to serve others are are found with them 
And I had a series of experiences that allowed me to go deeper in that direction. Uh, through beyond the wealth business, the last few years, I was working at one of JP Morgan's competitors, Northern Trust, a very client-centric, employee-centric organization, and led co-led a number of strategic objectives that had a client focus, an employee focus, uh, ultimately brought into the organization a human-centered digital design lab that I co-led uh, with a really amazing uh, designer. And we used the resources from that lab, our human-centered approach and these really amazing designers to try to solve some of the more complex problems that either our clients faced, our employees played, uh, faced from their perspective and to invite them in not only to help us to find the problem or the problems that were really worth solving, but also to co-create the solutions from a business perspective, what that did for us was give us more confidence that we were investing in solving problems that clients really cared about or employees really cared about. And we were doing it in a way that was more likely to create value for them. Mm. Wow. I love, first of all, we know that financial industry is going through so much shift and change that they can possibly consume it uh, with regulations, with economy on global scale, the threats, the security, you name it. But one piece that I love that you've been in, in center of is that human dynamics and human design. Um, do you mind elaborating a little bit more? Because it's really uh, very progressive because we know that a lot of these organizations don't want to change. And I know that this knowledge can be uh, reverse values in, in so many different avenues, including nonprofit sector, which we will get into right. second. Uh, but do you mind expanding a little bit more for everybody watching and listening, specifically from leadership standpoint, that they can possibly consider and tap into uh, in their organizations? Sure. Sure. So the design world, whether you're designing you know, a written publication or you're designing a website or you're designing a new business, it's not, it doesn't function that much different than most large businesses, certainly the corporate uh, industries that I've been a part of where most of the solutions are, they, they might bubble up from the person you're, you desire to serve, say a client, but at some point, someone in the organization decides they have the answer or some two or three people decide they have the answer and they turn away from the client and they go about making their case and getting the resources and designing the solution and rolling it out into the world and expect that the client in this example would uh, find value in that and too often what happens is the gap that occurs after you stop listening <laughs> And when you design the solution and launch um, has a disconnect and none of us really, again, have the answers to solve some of the most complex problems we have to solve. Uh, they all the complex problems that we were working on required two things. I'd say one is a strong sense of collaboration, so bringing in multiple perspectives, multiple lenses into the problem. Uh, and also, and I would say most importantly, uh, really understanding the lived experience of the person you're designing for. Now that doesn't apply to every problem that businesses face, right? There's plenty of, plenty of problems where the, you know, the, the 
problems are not that complex. And even if they are, the solutions are fairly straightforward. You know, just think about a math problem, right? You don't need a human-centered approach to decide what two plus two equals. But if you do want to understand the complexities of saying transitioning wealth from for multiple generations and what the implications are for the patriarch and the matriarch and the first generation, the second generation, and the third generation, and how to retain your sense of values throughout your gener the generational transfer and so on. That's that's an example of a type of a business problem. We're spending time with each one of those groups and inviting them in to join with you in, in creating solutions uh, is far more likely to be successful. And that comes out of a discipline called human-centered design, which, which focuses on problems that have a lived experience at their core. It's it's been widely used by uh, some of the most prestigious innovation and design firms in the world, IDEO kind of chief among them. Uh, unfortunately, despite the fact that it's been proven to be very effective, it's not very widely used for two main reasons, or maybe three. One, there is a specialized expertise associated with it. So human-centered designers have an expertise around deeper ethnographic research. And things like ethnographic research, where you're really spending a lot more time with people to understand what's going on in their lives and where they need might need support or help, takes more time, which translates to more money. So it takes more time, it costs more money, and and requires some specialized expertise. So it's not it, it's not used as widely because it doesn't work. It's not used as widely because it cost more money and people tend to jump to the kind of the Western notion that, you know, we've got this, we understand what you need, uh, just stand back and, and we'll, we'll circle back with the solution. Mm. Thank you for explaining that. And I love how you contrast that because sometimes the speed, uh, it's not necessarily uh, effective and it doesn't necessarily yield results that needs to happen, especially when we're dealing with humans. Um, exactly. We're dealing due to severe traumas that we're going to uh, dive into. Uh, obviously, I'm sure that this knowledge uh, you're purposing and leveraging heavily in what are you working on right now uh, when we're dealing with those invisible wounds, as I call it, because not right. all the as we as humans experience are visible, uh, it's harder for other people to wrap their head around, to accept, but also to learn how to truly support. And one of the hardest one is when we deal with um, sexual trauma, sexual torture, abuse, uh, specifically when we're dealing with uh, our early stages in our lives. So do you mind sharing a little bit of how you transition, obviously with the initiative that you are spearheading right now and leveraging not only human design, but everything that you learned so far? Sure, thank you. So uh, it's interesting because it was actually almost six years ago, it was in January of 2018 when I was co-leading this lab for my day job and found myself watching the USA gymnast testify against Dr. Nasser in that horrific uh, trial uh, that resulted in his conviction. And at, in my 50s, I was 59 when I was watching that uh, the USA gymnast test, uh, testify. But I was coming out of this a long season of therapy to help me resolve some of the 
kind of sticky issues associated with my own uh, history as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And I think I was at a place in my healing where I could really hear and see the broader community of survivors more clearly than I ever had, even though obviously I'd been a survivor all my adult life. But I heard in the voices of those gymnasts, uh, courage, a, a, um, a wisdom uh, in, in even their small community and a sense of compassion that gave me hope that there might be a way to deepen my understanding about the community and potentially use the toolkit that I had uh, to try to make a difference in support of survivor healing. And I knew without looking at any of the statistics that this is a, a reality that's not only a part of our culture and all our country in our time, but all cultures and all countries. And for as far back as history has been written, sexual trauma has been a part of our experience. As long, any, any forum where powerful men can victimize women and children, they do. And we see it, you know, many, many examples in our in our current times. But I, I understood that this was an under-resourced space. I'd been trying to understand what happened to me as a survivor and how I'd been impacted and how I might heal for 40 years, right, at the time as an adult. And I knew that the lack of resources, I knew how difficult this was for us to talk about as a culture and as a people. And we all know that when we can't even have a conversation about something, it's almost impossible that it'll be properly understood and, and supported. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, we couldn't talk about cancer in the United States. It was the C word, right? And as soon as we could finally wait, move our way through that, then all of a sudden the resources poured. And we were seeing a change in our culture where with Me Too and some of the other courageous acts, there was, to me, there was just a sense that maybe the time was right and maybe this was an opportunity for me to do something uh, that could make a real difference um, beyond the work that I'd been doing. So I, I immediately uh, met with my co-leader in the lab, uh, with my boss, who was the chief operating officer of the company at the time, and said, hey, this has happened. I feel like I need to try to explore this space and see what's possible. And with their support, I hired a couple of, of human-centered designers who are amazing to go out and just explore this space. And rather than, again, presume that I knew what everyone needed, even though I have strong feelings based on my own lived experience, we went out with 10 different concepts, very, very different ideas, and started talking to survivor healing experts, nonprofit leaders and activists and so on, and just said, if, we, if our aspiration is to try to make a difference at scale, where, where should we look? You know, where, where are the big gaps in this space? And just, to, and just use their feedback to bring us back to what became a proof of concept uh, for what we have since developed as Braver Collective. And that is a, a digital community, a safe, accessible, trauma-responsive and reliable digital community, a website that we built with survivors and four survivors uh, to support our collective healing. And so we, we, I did, I funded that and did that as a passion project as I worked 
in my day job. And it became clear over the next year or so that there was a lot of traction around this idea. And just in my own, my own heart, if you will, for reasons I really can't even explain, I just felt like this is what I had to do. Um, mm. And I love my job. It was my favorite job I ever had. So it wasn't easy. I wasn't walking away from something I didn't like. I loved the company I worked for. In fact, you know, they're 30 some senior executive leaders who are supporting our work. And it's just an amazing place. But I just felt like if I didn't do this work, if I didn't lead it, it wasn't likely to happen. So with their support, I left and started a nonprofit. And from there, we have done two additional uh, projects to co-design, do research and co-design with survivors uh, using some really amazing um, social impact, human-centered designers, Firebelly Design in Chicago, and then more recently, Mary Forder Design in Field of Practice, whose specialty is working in the social impact space to go deep into understanding, again, what's most important to solve for, and then asking the people we, in our case, survivors of sexual trauma, survivor healing experts to join with us to say if they're if we're trying to solve for this gap, if we're trying to create uh, something to fill the gap to support our healing, something we knew was missing, then what's what needs to be there? You know, what should be present? And we've recently finished the co-design of the site itself. It should launch in mid 2024. Um, super excited about it. it. Has a lot of traction. Um, so it's been quite a it's been quite a journey. I hadn't led a nonprofit before. I hadn't started a hadn't done an entrepreneurial venture before. Although a lot of new, uh, you know, innovative ventures I think we were part of, but nothing like this. So it's been a lot of learning. Uh, yeah. I would say. Seems like you're doing a lot of great things. And, and one of the key stuff that I'm hearing, obviously being part of prior company and having such a great culture and great supports from top leadership, it's truly unheard of. Doesn't happen often and it's not often pre represented in uh, definitely in current times. And that's, first of all, kudos on your leadership and your leaders that you've been surrounding yourself. And it's fantastic to hear how much they support you and how you are now leveraging human design and research and everything else. Uh, even though as a survivor, you know what you could have, should have needed at the time, right? But it's beautiful to see because nothing really takes away as it does um, not feeling safe and having someone you can turn to and, and, and feeling supported and do you have that trust and trusted environment that you can tell? Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, you're likely familiar with Judith Herman, who wrote, I think, the seminal work on trauma called Trauma and Recovery. Um, yes. And, you know, Judith Herman says a couple of things I think are relevant here. One is that it is natural for us to to not spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about these things in our thinking mind, our prefrontal cortex, right? We tend to carve these, anything traumatic, uh, we tend to carve it away and kind of go into denial and repression. And I can't watch that anymore. That's actually normal. It just, the the challenge with it is it, it ladders up to where, if that's the culture, where if the culture can't see it, 
and it impacts, in our case, in the U.S., a conservatively estimated 100 million people are survivors, right? Oh. And if you think for every survivor, let's hope there's at least one person who cares deeply for them. Mm -hmm. That's 200 million people. Two-thirds of the United States are directly or very close, indirectly impacted by this issue. Mm -hmm. And it starts with just being, doing something about it, just starts with bringing it into our awareness. Um, and all of us seeing it for what it is. And as I've done that, as I've had those conversations, two things have happened. Uh, one, on the sad note, the prevalence and the impact has uh, manifested in a way that's been very clear. It's very, very difficult to have an authentic conversation with anyone about sexual trauma and them to reply that they have no, they don't know anyone, it hasn't happened to them, they don't know anyone it's happened to, gee, that's interesting. If I've had this conversation 500 times, that might have happened to me five times. So mm -hmm. it's just pre it's prevalent. It's everywhere. Um, but the solution, I think, starts with seeing the issue and then joining together as we pursue a solution. That is so true. And, and I love that you are venturing in this new avenue, even you said you've never done a nonprofit, but obviously you're setting it up for success with all the right key ingredients and having such a great support behind you. Um, working with a lot, obviously different demographics that being exposed to a lot of suffering and including um, rape victims and sexual abuse and um, specifically sometimes by the closest ones, the family members or people yes. in the community should be trusted the most, either is an educational or religious institution. So either is the neighbors and community um, and, and, and specifically children are the one who suffer and that affects the course of their life. And I love the name of your nonprofit uh, when, because we need to all be more braver with what we're doing and what's happening around us. But collectively, the bravery uh, and, and confidence and it can only be done when, when you have um, right support system and right infrastructure. So for everyone watching and listening uh, that is um, experiencing similar or desire to support and help or have someone that they feel like they're not getting sufficient support and help. Do you mind sharing, obviously you're launching this in summer of next year, uh, sharing how people can get involved and how can they contribute their wisdom or support or desire uh, to participate? Sure. And I, and I, I want to also uh, go back to something you mentioned earlier about the importance of safety as a start point. Uh, finding a community that can truly understand what's happened to you uh, that is safe is very, very difficult and virtually impossible in the digital space. The digital space, most of us find to be very dangerous and complex and confusing. And uh, finding one truth doesn't naturally need, lead to the next. Um, so there's, there's a there's a lot of work to do, I'd say, in the digital space to create such a community. 
It's an opportunity I think we all have to participate. I love this word collective because the the meaning, the, the generic meaning of collective is a community that's organized around a common purpose. And our common purpose is a community supporting our collective healing. And the way as we as we worked with survivors, and, and by the way, we focused uh, working with young adult survivors. The, on the average, adults don't talk about their story of their own abuse until they're 52, which I think is shocking to most of us. I was 59 when I started telling people beyond my own family, my close friends, uh, that I was a survivor. So I'm not surprised with that statistic, but just the tragedy of waiting for decades before you begin to heal is something that we didn't feel comfortable with. So we're primarily focused on young adult survivors, but also responsibility to support healing for all trauma survivors. And, and as we asked this group of young adult survivors, okay, if you were to, to design a website to give you everything you need to support your healing, what would be present? And what they came back with were beyond just a safe, reliable place and a community of people who understand. Uh, they, we, they boiled it down to three things that will be present on the site. The first are the stories from the survivors themselves. We believe that survivors, as a survivor, I can tell you that I believe that only survivors can really understand uh, the impact of sexual trauma. I, I think it's similar to the way soldiers in combat might feel that if you weren't there with us, you, as, as well-intentioned as you might be, you probably don't really understand what I went through. That's very much the case for survivors of sexual trauma. So when we want to understand what happened to us and how we might heal, the voice we trust the most is the voice of other survivors. So the stories from survivors talking about how they've been impacted and how and what their healing experiences look like for good or not will be the cornerstone. We believe in the in the wisdom of that survivor community. Um, to complement that, we'll have kind of the science, if you will, the evidence-based on uh, res uh, resources and understanding around kind of the neurobiology of what happens to us when we're traumatized, what happens to our brain, what happens to our mind, how that impacts us over time, uh, as well as the healing modalities that are used to support survivors of sexual trauma. You know, the mainstream, the cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, and the more eclectic, you know, the EMDR or, you know, more recently psychedelics, whatever is being developed and is evidence-based and that survivors can rely on. And then, so those are two of the three elements, the third being just, just survivors talking very specifically about their participation in certain healing modalities. So I used EMDR and I loved it. I used EMDR and, EMDR and I hated it. You know, whatever it is, it's not to take a position as a community on this versus that, because healing from sexual trauma is not nearly so uh, neatly organized and linear. It's more to put information out there that survivors can rely on and wrap them with the community who cares so they can determine what their own next best step to heal is. Because what Ju Judith Herman will tell you, 
that we talked about earlier is the one of the most fundamental impacts of sexual trauma, and I would guess trauma more broadly, but certainly sexual trauma is that we are disempowered, right? We lose all sense of agency over where we go from here. And so to, to equip survivors and support them so they can take charge of their own healing is, in my opinion, a must. Um, nobody can heal for one another. We can support each other. We can help each other learn. We can encourage. But at the end of the day, uh, at least for sexual trauma, the healing is up to us. Mm. And it's such a beautiful way also to help others to, to feel that is the better way to do it. And I love how you said it. Everybody has a different path for healing and it's not one linear approach, but ultimately it is the one goal to be able to reconcile with the past, uh, be able to reclaim back uh, the strength, the confidence and also to be braver so that you, quality of life can um, exponentially increase and as a result also reconciliation with the past and opportunity to move forward. Exactly. A phenomenal goal. Exactly. And, and to, uh, to more precisely answer your, your question around how survivors and allies of survivors can help, if you go to bravercollective.org today, it's just kind of a landing page. But when the time comes and we're ready to launch, the opportunity over time is going to be to contribute your own story. I was literally in the bank in my little community yesterday, but talking to a young adult survivor and offering her the opportunity to bring her story when we launch, uh, which is a really powerful story about her own trauma experience and healing. So there will be an opportunity for us to contribute our stories. There'll be an opportunity for us to talk about our, our own healing experience with various modalities. And there'll be a significant opportunity, uh, both on the site and, and also with our complimentary social media presence that we'll launch to be in community and to more proactively and visibly support each other uh, as we work to heal. That is fantastic. With that in mind, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing, Scott, um, what is your vision and objective and ultimately a legacy that you'd like to be remembered and known for with this chapter in your life? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you already carved phenomenal legacy with work you already did in financial industry and how many people you touch in organization uh, internally and externally through the customers. Uh, but I'm curious with this chapter, um, what what is your aim? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I believe in uh, audacious visions, right? So our vision is is to support healing for all survivors. And when we say all survivors, I really mean that. You know, we're not designing this for a particular population or particular identity or particular geography or anything like that. We're we are designing and we are committed to support healing for all survivors. My, my contribution to that will be just in the sense of this collective, what I can bring to the table. You know, we, we, I believe, we believe very much that we each have a unique toolkit, a new, unique set of experiences, a unique perspective that are equally valuable 
just different. So this is not about, gee, look at me, lead this organization. I have all the answers and everybody's going to remember my name a hundred years from now. I just, that's not what we're trying to do. My contribution is to create a space where we can come together and try to solve this problem in a more lasting, uh, sustainable way. It's not dependent on fixing all the problems in the culture, fixing the justice system, you know, fixing this or that. Uh, we believe, I believe that we, we don't need to fix the world in order to, to begin to heal and to help each other heal. So I want, you know, that's my, that's my hope is that we can reach a deeper, you know, more uh, shame-free, stigma-free understanding of the reality that trauma, not just sexual trauma, but trauma writ large, is just something that happens to us. And we have this unbelievable, a set of unbelievable superpowers in order to survive it that over time sometimes become maladaptive, if you will, that we need to unwind as we as we get older. But we know how to do that. There's plenty of, of research and science and lived experience to help each other get there. What I hope to do is just to create a space for that to occur that outlives me, uh, <laughs> hopefully by many, many centuries. I love it. It's such a, such a beautiful gift that um not only it's so tremendously needed today but i'm sure in decades to come as as we're involved and as we grow and progress in society uh as well population is increasing problems are increasing and it's such a refreshing to hear this new approaches to very complex solutions as you said that are being affecting so many um for a longest longest period of time uh and it's very important that we acknowledge them and because as they say what we ignore constantly perseveres and constantly yeah. shows and surprises in most unexpected ways um, but also you are supporting many other causes. And I just want to, first of all, kudos you for your uh, time and effort to not only push forward what is important, obviously, based on personal experience and seeing how many people are affected, um, but just that philanthropic way of giving, also supporting others um, and with different initiatives that are undergoing tremendous shift and change right now. So in closing, do you mind sharing um, for everybody watching and listening, for everybody that is on the fence, where to start, what to do, or who to support, or where to give their time and effort. It seems like you are so purposeful, so clear, and no doubt that you're going to accomplish, again, tremendous results. What would be your piece of advice for people that are truly struggling and cannot see things clearly yet? Yes, so clarity has come after about six years of effort. <laughs> <laughs> so I, what are the things I believe in the most? And it, it has something to do with how we talk about Braver Collective as being a place where a survivor can, through these various mechanisms, find their next best step to heal. I'm a huge believer in just taking the next step. Would it, however you discern that next best step. And there are opportunities everywhere um, to take a step. I think what, with these really huge problems, I think we can be intimidated to the point of 
of just walking away before we even start by the enormity of the problem. You know, how are we going to solve healing for a hundred million people in the United States and billions of people? I don't know. But what I do know is somebody I can call and somebody I can ask a question to and something I can learn. And then once I do that, I can then do the same thing again and take a next step and a next step and a next step. And you and I have a really good example with a friend we have in common, uh, Mark McIntosh, who's a friend of ours, who is an amazing guy, who has, by virtue of a illness that's a disease that he's um, been infected with even in the last 12 months, he needs a kidney donation. And I don't know anything about kidney donations. I'm guessing, I don't know how much you knew uh, before you waded into that space, maybe a lot, but I think for a lot of us, it's new. But I knew that I love Mac and mm -hmm. I believe that we do solve these problems together. And even though I don't know anything about that from a medical perspective and I don't have that personal experience, I know that I can bring what I have to help Mac. And I think in particular, finding folks who dream big. So our buddy Mac, you know, he's not asking for one kidney, although we want to make sure Mac gets his kidney. He, is, he has a vision to find 5,000 kidneys, as you know, uh, to help 5,000 folks who need a kidney to live and to support uh, live organ donation, which I've learned is you know, we can share our spare, as he says, in his drive to 5,000. So I think if we if we open our eyes, if we understand, I think for many of us, our primary motivation may well come from our own lived experience. But beyond that, there's no shortage of opportunities. But I think it all not just begins, but continues by just taking your the next step. You know, whatever you think your best next step is, we all are smart enough to figure out like what that might be or who it might be. Just do that and then commit to do it again and again and again. And you do that for a year, you're in a really different place. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.